You're listening to the Fearless Futures podcast, where we unpack and interrogate mainstream methods, as well as alternative approaches we have developed and deployed for equity and inclusion, working in daring companies across sectors around the world. Each week, we will explore a new angle you won't want to miss. So stick around. Hi, everyone. I am Sable Lomax. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm so excited for today's taping of episode three of season two of the Fearless Futures podcast. You are seriously in for a treat. We have with us Rachel Luff and Zach Rubenstein, and we're going to talk about all things mobilizing the masses, foundational literacy as a bed, the bedrock of change. If you haven't tuned in to season one, that's okay. You can find it on your Apple, your Spotify, and all the other places that podcasts exist these days. But for today, we are going to we're going to have a really good conversation. If you've been tuning into season two thus far, you'll notice this is the first time we've had two guests instead of one. So that already to me makes it even more special. Um, but honestly, I'm really, really excited for this conversation in particular, because when I think about the work that's required to actually bring transformational ecosystem change to an organization. You can't just focus on the leaders. You can't just focus on those who would be in middle management. There's all this work that has to be done across the masses, across the ecosystem. And if there's two people who can speak to that lived reality and living this work in day in and day out, it's definitely Rachel and Zach from Expedia. So before we jump in, I'm going to read some bios. I have my cue cards here. You know, I love my my talk show host cards. Before I do, how do you all feel about having your bios read? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Celebrity oh, status. I, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Special. Very Rachel special. Rachel said go ahead. Zach said <laughs> celebrity status. So Rachel with the go ahead, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna go with yours first. So Rachel Luff is Expedia's group strategy lead of global inclusion learning, where she leads their flagship inclusion learning program, Ally Skills, curates new learning programs and executes global campaigns to drive participation in inclusion learning. The most recent program Rachel led was a podcast series, Decoding Bias, focused on mitigating bias in the workplace on topics including decision making, processes and leadership. So I'm really excited to get your insight today, Rachel. And last but not least, our celebrity, Zach Rubenstein. <laughs> he is Expedia Group's Director of Inclusion Learning, where he leverages education to create inclusive workplaces and to sustain inclusive action around the globe. He also drives behavioral behavior change by creating and delivering custom inclusion learning content on topics ranging from allyship to identity, to inclusive language for Expedia Group and their travel partners' employees. How many travel partners does Expedia have? Do you know off the top of How your many head? Travel it's a trick question. Um, no, it, it wouldn't be a trick question, probably for those in market management, a, a trick for us. <laughs> in yeah, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't have. Even know. thinking through like mobilizing the masses, sure. the work that you're, you know, directly participating in is not just impacting Expedia Group. I'm thinking about the travel partners, and my brain just went, that's a lot of partners. It that's is. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, potential for loads of change. Yep. 
which I think is exciting. Before we jump in, okay. If I if you think about your inclusion journey, and I've asked this of all of our guests so far, what has been a mic drop learning moment for you? So this could be something in the past. This could be something more recent. You know, time doesn't matter here, but what has been a mic drop learning for you? And I'll let you two decide who should go first because I don't know who has their moment already. <laughs> uh, I can go first. Um, and that's only because I was actually thinking about this the other day. One of, I mean, we have our aha moments all the time especially when we're leading facilitating workshops, you hear a new perspective and, and it's an, it's another like area of growth for you. I think one of the first aha moments I had in this space was when I was speaking to someone about like the safety in cars and how mm. cars are made for men and how actually the airbags are designed and they can actually cause more injuries to women. And that for me was the beginning of my journey in thinking, but hang on a minute, the world's not designed for everyone. And I think ever since then, I've just had a lot more clarity and, you know, insight into things that you maybe had, you know, a trust in or just believed to be a certain way, not being like that. And and that was really kind of like, that was when the door opened for me. And I was like, okay, this is something that I, I really kind of want to learn more about and, and have more awareness of. But mm-hmm. over to you, Zach. I'm intrigued to hear Yeah, this. that was a good one. Mine was probably my transition into Expedia Group. Because I've, I was working um, in DEI in the field, but in higher education. So at a couple universities and colleges in the United States, um, but specifically in diversity centers and multicultural centers, mm-hmm. which I know that is actually a fairly US-centric thing in higher education. But that meant that the populations of students that I was working with mostly did not look like myself. And maybe besides Mm -hmm. the Jewish group or the pride group, I didn't identify with them. And so I felt a pretty strong connection of I'm doing this work for the people that need it, for the people that are asking for it. Moving to Expedia Mm -hmm. Group, global, corporate, headquartered in Seattle, I literally was in a space of people that really looked like me. I was even within an engineering part of the organization. So there were a lot of cisgendered, white men. And a lot of them were straight. Most of them weren't Jewish. But just in terms of the identities I saw around me, I almost felt like I sold out. I was like, oh, what did I do? I'm going the opposite way. But my kind of aha mic drop was that there is a particular space for cis white men doing this work for other cis white men. And of course, you know, I will probably get into this, but it's allyship at the end of the day. But I didn't think I had a space there until I started realizing that other white men actually, they found it to be a bit of a bridge talking to another white guy. I think the defenses went down a little bit. And they were, you know what I mean? They were like, oh, okay, you're kind of doing this. I bet you've been on a journey. You probably don't know everything and you're still learning. You know, they, I think they could rationalize it a bit more. So it helps me Mm -hmm. uh, stick with it because obviously I still work at Expedia. (laughs) Thank you both for that. Rachel, I remember watching something. I don't know if it was the learning channel, but one of those channels where they're like, we've learned from airplane crashes and car crashes. Like just, it's a channel that talks about all things death. Honestly, it's morbid. This is not a good example, but I remember that learning moment for me too. And it was like, 
considering how many people drive a vehicle daily, how have we only designed protection for men? And then not of a certain height and weight, like how specific, you know, the scientists and engineers broke it down. So yeah, that just accessibility and things and, you know, safety. But I love that example. I don't love that it exists, but I do love that example. Um, and thank you for that, Zach. I'm not going to say thank you a thousand times because there's so many things I want to I want to dig into. So random fun fact. Um, this is, is going to make sense. I promise. I used to sing in a choir. We actually won awards. Um, sometimes we sung a cappella. Sometimes we had music behind us. But it was very, very important that we were all singing from the same hymn sheet. So back then I sang soprano. I'm sure I can't hit any of those notes now. Um, you know, you have your alto section, your tenor section, baritone. I mean, it can get real complicated. Well, not complicated, but first soprano, second soprano, you know, it could be layers. But when you brought it all together, there was a sound. We were all on one accord. Everyone had their part, but when you put all the parts together, it made the whole. When I think about mobilizing the masses and even like having a true bedrock, a foundation, a literacy that we all share, how have you experienced, you know, actually getting folks to get on the same hymn sheet? You might have your part, senior leader. You might have your part, executive, individual contributor, people manager, so forth and so forth. But we have to be on the same sheet while doing our respective parts. What has that process been like for you both? And since you went first, Rachel, last time, I'm going to pick on you this time, Zach. Fair. Um, <laughs> I would say... It took us almost speaking the same language and mm. we weren't at first. I think when mm. both, you know, Rachel and I started out, cause we've been on the same team for a while now. We DEI at Expedia group was bringing in speakers. It was a lot of awareness based events and mm -hmm. a bit of a checkbox exercise um, for most of them. Mm -hmm. And that happens at a lot of organizations that aren't really focusing on the yeah. impact. That's yeah. Um, and so when we wanted to start bringing people together, we could say mobilizing everybody, we started with the foundation of ally skills. So of course, mm -hmm. it, you know, it is the program that Rachel runs, so she'll have a lot to talk about it. But I think it, within allyship, that created a language, a shared language. Not everybody knew what allyship was. And the more offices in more locations and countries that we went to, we actually realized that the definition was different. And when we would just mm -hmm. say allyship, it was interpreted in a hundred different ways. So mm -hmm. it took a lot of that foundational work, roadshows, doing workshops in a lot of those offices, using localization um, to understand how it's coming out in those places and translated to get the company on one page. Um, and it took a while. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. definitely not easy. And then the terrain um, that Expedia has, but this idea of shared definitions, shared understanding, it's so important. And it's something that we at Fearless spend a lot of time with and on because you're right. I might say, you know, marginalized and there's 18 different definitions in the room. And then that can lead to tension and defense and miscommunication because we're just not defining it the same way. So I'm really glad you raised that. Like one of the key factors and components is when I say this word and you say this word, we have a shared understanding of, of what that means. 
Exactly. Rachel, what about you? Because that definitely mentioned your program. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I could talk about this for hours, but I think, you know, really going right back to the foundations, I think something Mm -hmm. I learned very quickly at the beginning of that journey was definitions are so important to the point where, yes, you want to be on the same, you know, like singing the same hymn sheet, but also just understanding what that word actually means. So people throw around the word ally all the time diversity and inclusion all the time and I would say a lot of the time when you know you ask someone so what do you mean by that they don't really have an answer it's just been used time and time and time again that it gets very fatigued and the very purpose and the very moment and the the reason you're using that word gets forgotten so you know we actually at Expedia Group went through a bit of a exercise a couple of years ago of differentiating between diversity and inclusion to really show that they are very different components and they do very different things they're important and they're just as important as one another but you need one to have the other work and they work kind of in a tangent and I think that for our company even that as a um, kind of learning moment was huge in helping people really understand what we're trying to do because I think people just say you know diversity and inclusion equity and it it just didn't really mean anything so we were just yeah, exactly. And it, the, the meaning had been lost. So I think trying to bring the meaning back into those words is, is super important as well. Yeah. I, I'm just picturing a glossary here. It's like when you're back in school, go walk away, memorize these words, you know, be able to use them in a sentence and let's come back and see if we have this understanding. Obviously, facilitate it far differently, but mm-hmm. that same that same root, that vocabulary matters and definitions and understanding matters, especially in this space. You know, how are we going to have these really rich, nuanced conversations if we're defining things in, in different ways? In terms of allyship, because you both brought this up just now, when you were bringing this word up, what were the different ways that people were defining it? Because I find it, much like you all mentioned, it's a word that is exhausted. It is used over and over again. And sometimes the meaning might feel watered down depending on how you interpret, you know, interpreted its use in that moment. But how have you seen some of your colleagues and folks in this work, like prior to us having this shared language at Expedia, how have you seen folks defining it? I think for me, it was be nice to one another. And that was kind of the the beginning. That was the beginning and the end. That was it. It was as an Mm -hmm. ally, I'm going to be nice to you. And and, and it's as basic as that. Um, And Zach, I don't know if you had any build on that, but that, that word was, that was people's interpretation. They didn't understand the kind of impact that, you know, being an ally can be and what it really means to be an ally. They thought it was just a label. It was just something you say, you know, I'm an ally, by the way. I'm nice to people. I, I go out of my way to say hello to people. And you're like, okay, fundamentally, and, you know, if you're going to really create impact here, that's not how we're going to get there. That's great. I'm nice to people too. I wouldn't say that means I'm an ally. And I think it was taking us right back to to that moment and saying, okay, let's really try and redefine that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Zach, I don't know if you... Yeah, it was about the same. When I think of specific examples, sometimes it was kind of the comments you get from men when they might say, I'm an ally. I have a wife. I have a mother. I have sisters. Of course, I'm an ally, which is really just, you know, explaining the people around you. Um, But it doesn't (laughs) actually show action or maybe how you're understanding that. Um, That's one example I can think of. The only other one that I 
is very specific. When we were in certain office locations, actually, I heard people relating Ally to more of like military and wartime World oh. War II allies versus, you know what I mean? Allies. Yeah. yeah Which sense. I think is just more salient in some parts of the world than others, of course, because I heard the same interpretation of the word oppression. And it was a bit of a blocker at one point. I remember a few years back when even from Fearless Futures, when we're talking about global forms of oppression, I would sometimes get into conversations that are like, no, oppression to me is literally looking out my window because potentially there could be a bomb that lands near me. And I'm like, it's a totally yeah. different interpretation and usage of the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So honestly, Rachel, I have heard that a lot. Zach, that one is new, but it for this for me in this moment, but when I think about like certain global contexts, yeah. I can absolutely see why the first thing that comes to mind is not being nice to people. It's, you know, warfare, battle, et cetera, et cetera. Leaning over to the being nice to people. I think that's a common one. Um, and this idea of um, self-proclaimed allyship, like like I'm an ally and, and you mentioned all of your relationships. Like you said, Zach, having worked on, you know, shared language and baseline literacy across Expedia, what have you done in particular to get folks to realize actually allyship is not being nice to people and then you know in this particular context it's also not you know related to battle and war between you know countries and things of that sort but it is active it's not passive it's not something you can self-proclaim it's not something it's not waiting for uh you know grand moments to stand up in your superhero cape and say ally here to the rescue it's it's so much more richer than that and deeper and complete and risky at times you know what have you done to get folks to understand the difference between what we might be seeing in a quick linkedin post versus like what it really looks like to show up for marginalized people you know day day in and day out yeah i mean i'm happy to take this because it's the program i run and then Mm -hmm. zach please do build So I think, I think for us at Expedia, we've been on a journey for, for, you know, several years now. And, and it really started with a, a workshop. It started very fundamentally a grassroots workshop where the, the setup was the first half was talking around terminology and it was going into what do we mean when we say ally? What do we say when we mean privilege? You know, going through that terminology and giving everyone within that workshop the same kind of level of knowledge. So that was kind of the first start. And that's kind of going back to what we were saying before around just having the definitions, the glossary and that side of things. Mm -hmm. The second half of the workshop was really when we turned it back onto our employees and the participants in the workshop. And we actually had scenarios and we would give them based on, you know, real life situations that have happened across Expedia. And we've heard time and time again, we would put that scenario to our participants and say, do you think an ally is needed? And you know, cheat here, but they always were. (laughs) And we'd ask them, is an ally needed? Why is an ally needed? And who is the best ally in this situation? Mm, And we would get them as a group to talk through that, that situation. And they would learn from one another. You know, you could see in those, those workshops, the moments where people had those aha moments of like, I've been in this situation so many times, and now I understand how I could have been an ally. 
because mm-hmm. we really took it back to, you know, very relatable, normal, everyday situations that could occur in any workplace, really. And that's really how we, we started to build the skill set for, for our, for our employees. And I think we, we rolled that out globally and at scale, we had an amazing group of volunteer, voluntary uh, facilitators that have helped us through that. We would not have been able to do it without them. And they also helped localize it as well. So, you know, when, especially when the pandemic hit, right, we weren't able to go into office, but having people who had the expertise culturally of that, you know, that region who could talk to it and, and kind of actually say, I completely understand what you're saying. The context mm-hmm. here is slightly different. The oppression might be seen different here or shows up differently. That has been really fundamental um, to the way we've, we've done things at Expedia. That program still runs now. Over half our employees have been through it. And I would say having done that, we as a company have been able to really change culturally how we talk around allyship. And there is a lot better understanding around when we say ally, it's not being, you know, to be nice or as Zach said, you know, it's nothing to do with like military. It's really fundamentally what can we do for people and and our employees and beyond. I was going to ask, having gone through, I think you said half of, you know, the employees at Expedia, what changes in feedback have you seen from these aha moments? Is it showing up in folks' one-on-ones, meetings, surveys, you know, where have you seen the progress with like, oh, I didn't know and now I know. And since then I've been doing better. I think it's shown up in two ways. I think the first way is people feel heard. So there are a lot of people obviously joining these sessions who are like, oh, okay, we're actually going to be talking about this now. And I'm, I have a safe space where I can contribute and I can give my feedback and, and when, you know, they're feeling comfortable to do so to do that. So I think it's really helped in people understanding how serious we are at Expedia to, to make this a priority. I think the other thing that I've heard be one of the more successful ones is, you know, managers and direct reports having a very real, honest, open conversation that they would not have had before. Mm-hmm. That has been fundamental. You know, we do these sessions generally and we encourage for people to join from all across the business to try and get as much diverse perspective as possible. But we have also run team sessions and they kind of like team builders as well. And you will see in that moment, the leader sitting back and listening. And that has like been digesting. very impactful. Just yeah. listening to other people talking who maybe, you know, when it comes to seniority, They are normally the ones talking and taking up the space really, you know, and we would kind of say at the beginning of the workshop, make sure there is equity in the voices that we hear today. That's something that we've always done. Mm -hmm. So I think that really helped bridge that uh, and start that conversation. Um, That's definitely some of the the key things I've seen. But yeah, Zach, I don't know if you've got other thoughts on that. I know you've probably seen a lot. Yeah, I mean, that was brilliant. I think the only thing I would add that I've seen change from our ally skills now being how far are we into it? Two and a half years, I suppose, or so. Yeah. Yeah, Two to three years is the, at the executive level, how much it's been integrated from top down. Mm -hmm. And I don't always think a top down approach is the right way to go, but what you can get with C-suite and leaders is accountability. And if they're going to drive the culture, what we see now is even in like performance review time, we do quarterly connects, which is basically just quarterly performance reviews. We have questions and guidance and tools that are specifically DEI related. And it talks built, built into, into the it. Process. Yep. And it talks about allyship. Mm-hmm. It talks about bias. It talks about career pro- 
progression and development. And that was not there before. I'm so glad you mentioned that because oftentimes there might be an organization that has a similar program or a desire. Maybe it's not allyship, maybe it's something else. And they're, you know, they're opening up to the masses, they're encouraging, they're creating safe space and so forth. But there there's not a mechanism yeah. for accountability. Yeah. To ensure that this wasn't a one-off, this wasn't a tick box exercise. We had some learnings and we're committed to utilizing those learnings in our day-to-day. And we're gonna have a way to track how are we doing? Is progress being made? So knowing that there's that measure there, you know, and it's incorporated into something that's happening regularly, it really sets the tone for how important this work is. This wasn't just like, oh, a lunch and learn. This was like, no, a lunch and commit (laughs) and continue. Zach, so you do custom training. So they say in my bio. (laughs) Zach, you do custom training. Um, Come on, you're a celebrity here. And I want to know, like in the midst of this, depending on the topic you've decided or it's been brought, raised that, you know, we need to address X, Y, Z, how is it that you're meeting people where they are? Yeah, great question. Because we don't always do that well. <laughs> it doesn't always hit mm-hmm. right. We've learned a lot because if you think about the team that Rachel and I are on, inclusion learning, we really are focused just on learning. We've only existed for a couple of years. So one major, even 2022 focus is globalization. And that's a lot of times understanding where people are at instead of I'm going to create, let's say for myself, a workshop in Seattle and I'm going to feel really great and I'm going to be amazing. And I'm going to go to our Tokyo office and do the exact same program. And everyone's going to love it. No changes. changes. And I'm going to go home on a plane and love it. I have done that and it did not work out well. (laughs) So we've, (laughs) we've learned a lot. Part of it was the foundation of even terminology that we didn't understand. But most of it was cultural nuances and cultural history that we did not understand. And how the same identities we talk about in the United States do not show up the same way in every country. So, right, right. Like we know racism is global, but racism looks really different in India as it does in the United States. And there's a different history to it, let alone colonization, which adds in, you know. So I think one thing that we've done is utilize our global networks more. So we don't have any program that goes out in any mandate. You know, this is the importance of it, telling any manager that their team has to go until we have gone through mm-hmm. our checks. And that includes different levels of hierarchy and title mm-hmm. within our organization, different global locations, different identities. We go through a lot of checks at this point to get as much feedback as possible because we're never going to have all the identities in the world on the diversity and inclusion team. We don't have enough resource to hire that many people, Um, but we certainly have it in all of our employees. Um, So we do, Mm -hmm. we do a lot of checks now, a lot of feedback sessions. Something I just wanted to tease out is this idea of, and it's connected to colonialism, but you know, there's a hub, there's a team and a company that's responsible for all things DEI. And that team might be split, split up into like inclusion learning like yourselves. And you have this team that does this part. Even if this team is only 15 people, there's some splits, 
you know, in some division within the team to try and maximize capacity and, and efforts. And depending on the lens and perspective and identities of those team members, we're making global plans that we're just going to send out to everywhere. And although intention might be pure, impact is what we need to focus on. And much like you've learned, we've learned, I mean, others who've done this work have learned, I need to contextualize this learning within the geography that I'm in. So yes, racism might have identical roots, but the way the branches and leaves show up, it's going to look different in India than Tokyo then Ghana, then Brazil, then I'm just going to say cold. Well, actually, it's warm today, <laughs> New Jersey. Um, so I love that you brought that in because I think that's a piece that a lot of us have missed in the past. And for those doing this work to just think about in the future, if you're new to this space, it's like we can't just centralize something and just send it out and expect it to land perfectly and have fantastic outcomes in all our geographies. Like, it takes longer to plan, but the outcome is usually a lot stronger and better when we take the time to do that. And then speaking of that, Rachel, how have you incorporated that into your ally um, ally skills program, knowing that this is this is global? Right. I mean, firstly, I was just nodding my head so much at that because this has to be one of the top themes and priorities for our team. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we're very, very aware now that, you know, we are headquartered, Expedia is headquartered in Seattle. We have a very large population in America, but also half of our employees are outside of, of, of there. So you really have to think intentionally about the programs you're putting out. And we have, as anyone in the um, kind of IND space and in inclusion diversity practitioner space, we will make mistakes. We will do things that we look back on and go, that wasn't right but we learn from them, right? And I think the way that we have taken that learning within ally skills, and it goes back to Zach's point around utilizing and leveraging our incredible employee population is is, is literally that. So with ally skills, I, I, I mentioned it before, we have a volunteer facility com community and they are based yes. in, I think the last count was in 30 different locations globally. Awesome. So those, so we're very lucky at Expedia that we can go to these folks, go to these resources and just say, this is kind of the, these are the changes we're looking to make. How does this land? And actually that's kind of step one is making sure your facilitators and the representation you have is there. The second thing is also looking at the scenarios we've been doing. And, and changing them based on the uh, location we're in, the office we're in, and actually even the job function. If you are a traveler, you know, you are a customer focused um, kind of in a, a role like that, where you're talking to customers all day, every day, or our travel partners, the kind of scenarios that are going to come up for you are going to be very different compared to if you're more in a back end role mm -hmm. and how that experience will be. So we've, we've changed the way our scenarios are. We've catered them depending on, you know, job function uh, level. As I mentioned before, our executives, we changed the scenarios there to be more about you as a people leader in this situation. How do you show up? How is your privilege in that situation different to a individual contributor? You know, mm -hmm. how does that change? And that's how we've really tried to add more nuances into it. And, you know, we when we went into this virtual world, we split out our workshops within regions. So we had, you know, for APAC, so for Asia, we had a workshop around there and we had scenarios based around what we, what we were hearing most themes around and what was, you know, causing the most um, 
kind of questions and most friction. And then we would do the same for, for Amir, so for Europe, um, yeah. in the Middle East, yeah, around that area. And then the same for, for NORAM as well. So North America, uh, Canada, and then obviously LATAM as well, Latin America. So we, we changed it depending on where we were, where we were delivering. I'm loving hearing all of this, like contextualizing geography, culture, language, you know, experience and such. How have you seen reception? to this work, you know, change the more and more you're making sure that this is for you versus one size fits all. I still don't know why that exists for like t-shirts and hats, but here we are in 2022, still saying one size fits all. But, you know, in terms of this work and inclusion learning and like forming this bedrock. Like we do want this shared foundation. We do want to mobilize the masses, but recognizing we might not be able to mobilize in the exact same way. Like how has this been received from, from your folks, whether it's, you know, at Expedia or your travel partner? Pretty positively. And it's not being biased because we're at this organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) It really was um, (laughs) positive feedback, but I think it was also all of a sudden an open door to ask for more in the best way possible that we had not been doing. So it was really, really well, well received that people feel heard. And mm-hmm. now I mm-hmm. want to give you even more feedback because I've been holding back before because the trust wasn't established yet. Mm, yeah, trust. it just wasn't, it wasn't yeah. there because we weren't creating the space for it. We weren't even mentioning it, you mm-hmm. know, intentionally. So mm-hmm. that was one yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And then I also realized even in this one workshop and subsequent programs, we, Rachel and I facilitated less and less because we just weren't the best facilitators for that region, for that workshop, for that group. And that was a huge change, letting go and releasing that. We have our expertise and skill sets and we're doing the work on the back end, but it doesn't always mean that we're the face of it. We're not going to be the best face mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I think coming back to to your question as well, say, but I'll just add that it was at Expedia. It's been set as an expectation to participate in this workshop. So we actually had our CEO come out. We weren't quite ready for him to come out with it, but he did, and it was the best thing that ever happened <laughs> yeah. for this program. Um, but he came out and said, you know, this Ally Skills program. I encourage every single one of you to go through this. This is part of your responsibility in your job. You know, this is your accountability. And ever since then, you know, our team has really been focused on making sure when we're talking around inclusion and diversity and equity, that we're really saying that it's everyone's job. It's not just the IND team, you know, the inclusion diversity team that's just sat over here. And yes, we're a small team. It's everyone. I love that. I really love that because sometimes I think that because there are these teams that exist and in some places it's a two person team, you know, for like a 500, you know, um, member company. So the teams are very rarely large, Um, even at Mm -hmm. large entities. And I know large Mm -hmm. is relative, but let's just say Mm 80,000 plus employees, just the contextualized numbers here. And the teams can often be really small. And it's like, unless we all can split ourselves and clone ourselves and like make 30 Zachs and a hundred Rachels and 20 Sables, it's truly not, you know, (laughs) everywhere. And then we suddenly speak all the languages, you know, and things of that nature. 
it's not possible for the responsibility to only sit within those who are strategically responsible, you know, and have a stake in this work. So just the idea of a leader and then the CEO at that sharing, everyone has a role and everyone plays a responsibility in this. I think that's so key. Did you see a shift once that message was, you know, sent out amongst the people? (laughs) Most yeah. definitely. I mean, me and Zach have to laugh our way through this because it was a very yeah. testing time for both of us. I mean, we went from being a gra- grassroots program where we would just, you know, deal with requests. People would say, I want to do this for my team. I want to do this for the office. And we would deliver based on that. It turned mm-hmm. completely on its head into this is now a global program where the mm. CEO wants everyone to do this. And we had to very quickly ramp up. And we had amazing momentum behind us the whole way from you know our employees who just wanted to give back the the passion the energy the enthusiasm is really what has carried this through i'm just a very lucky person that you know gets to say that i helped lead it but i was just a, you know minor in in the real kind of force mm-hmm. behind this and it just became it was really a, a, a huge culture shift you know hearing the mm-hmm. ceo say that and us then delivering a program with you know half of our population now going through it and some of them have gone through it more than once Mm. that's kind of the feedback we've had is you know you learn something new every single time you do it because the scenarios might be different Uh, yeah and we all do right and you learn something new as a facilitator the reason me and Zach couldn't let go is because we love the conversations (laughs) I just loved it we're like is this we get paid to do this to like talk about this stuff and hear about other people's perspectives and Mm -hmm. you know places I've never even been able to travel to just hearing Mm -hmm. what it's like and and the challenges there and how we as you know the IND team can can really step up Mm-hmm. in those places was was really valuable to us for sure yeah and what i'm hearing is by hearing the ceo signal this is important this is not a tick box there's accountability it almost gives those who wanted to speak up but might have been tagged as like troublemakers in the past you know the wrong risk to take, et cetera. It gave them permission to say like, hi, Mm -hmm. Rachel, I want to facilitate, hi, like I want to participate because it no longer could have like a, I'm just going to say a gray cloud over it. It's like, oh, this is sunshine and roses. Also, the CEO (laughs) said, this is what we're doing now. And I want to be, I want to be a part of that. Talking, you mentioned momentum just now, Rachel. And I want to talk to you two a little bit about that because what I have found in this space is that sometimes, well, momentum comes and it goes, it almost can feel like a little bit of a roller coaster. It's like we have our, we're working our way up and then we peak and then we we just kind of like, you know, ride the wave. What experiences have you had trying to maintain momentum um, in doing this work? Because one, as folks doing the work, fatigue is just a thing as human beings, and then human beings trying to do this work within a global pandemic has its own layer of, you know, nuance and complexity. But I want to look at it from a different perspective, almost going back to our earlier conversation around like allyship and what does it mean to be an ally? A lot of times those who will say they're an ally, they get fatigued very quickly. And what stands out to me the most, like in the most recent worldwide example, if you will, the um, Black Lives Matter movement with the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, it was, it was allyship, like, woo woo, ally, I am, hear me roar. I bought these books, I put up my Black 
Square on Instagram. I retweeted the speech on, you know, on Twitter. And then within three weeks, maybe six weeks, depending on the person, it's like, this is too much work. I'm tired. I do not want to talk about this anymore. Say all that to say, what strategies have you used to show people and to really make it real that this is daily work and folks who have been marginalized for centuries even, they're the ones who are fatigued having to live with oppression or oppressions day in and day out. So what have you done to maintain that momentum? What lessons have you learned? What strategies have you deployed and so forth? I have one. You want me to start, Rachel? Um, Go for it. You have it. What have we learned? That's where I kind of sparked something. Because when we first started doing this work, I actually think we took the approach of we need to solve racism. Like, we need to do this, y'all. Mm. We get, we're a team. We're being paid to do this. This is our task. So we made a lot of workshops, a lot of listening tours, a lot of resource guides, a lot of speakers. And let's just keep listening and keep talking about it and talking and talking. And that gets you so far. But what I think we only started doing in the past maybe couple of years was realizing we are doing this within some sort of structure, which is a travel company. So as much as I would yeah. love for everybody to take everything that Rachel and I do, take it home, talk to your family, talk to everybody around you on the street and get this going, mm -hmm we're actually being paid to do this within a travel lens. And I don't think we had that mm. lens the whole time. So what I mean by that is we started mm. reframing what we do to make it a daily practice by actually looking at what do you do daily here? What is your job at Expedia Group? Oh, you're in market management. You're the one talking to partners. You're talking to the Verbo home guests and the owners of that home or our hotel partners. What are they experiencing? Did they need any sort of training? Are guests coming in and having, you know, like a common complaint that a lot of people in the queer community find is if they come in with, let's say they both identify as women and they're checking in and there's only one bed or two men in one bed and they're questioned at the mm -hmm. front desk. Was that a, did you yeah. make that correct? Did you really mean two beds? Do you, you know, do you know how to use the system? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that sort of stuff. That's something that we can do something about. That's part of our travel system. You know, are you going through TSA or like, where are all those barriers? And I think once we started aligning our work to Expedia's work, it became more of a daily mm -hmm. practice because people didn't think of it as an extra. Mm -hmm. They're like, I'm already doing this. You're just teaching me how to look at it in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, you going back to the Black Lives Matter movement, that to us was really kind of the wake up call for quite a lot of people. And we really were able to hone in on that. I think, you know, when we're looking now day to day and looking at what we've done and where we're going, I think it goes back to Zach's comment around we've done a lot of listening. But where do we go from there? And the way yeah. that we structure learning and the way that we're going to be bringing our employees through this learning journey in inclusion is we're going to start with awareness. And we want to move through to identification. We want to get to accountability and then get to action. So we have four pillars and not all of our programs will be aligned to every single one of those pillars, mm -hmm. but they have, they're on one of them at the very least. And it's really helping for us to help our employees, our travel partners, anyone that's taking our learnings 
to firstly, you know, have that awareness, but where do you go from there? We've listened now. Where's the action? Where do we go? And that's really what we're trying to build with the momentum is yes, you will always have those people that, you know, are, are kind of we're the gateway in the sense of we have to do the speakers sessions and we do the events and those are fantastic events and they help build a lot of energy and bring new people in. But then we've got to move people through that whole journey. And I think that's how we've been keeping the momentum is changing up the way that we are delivering our learning. So it was referenced at the beginning, you know, that that we've just launched um, a podcast series. That's a different type of learning for people. And we had a, amazing feedback from people like I was just walking the dog and I was able to really listen about how I can mitigate bias at Expedia. Like that was like revolutionary for a lot of people. And I think it's trialing things and learning new things and, and just trying to keep that interest. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, we know at Expedia that not everyone is listening to us. Not everyone is engaged in our work. You know, there are, there are quite a few different groups. You know, there are those that are hugely engaged and participate and advocate and are allies. You have the group in the middle that maybe think they are, but aren't quite there. And then you have the group that are just very disengaged yeah. who are like, oh, I've got this or I don't care. This isn't, this isn't my problem. Yeah. And I think it's trying, we're trying now to obviously keep the engaged engaged, but use them to help bring in the disengaged. Use a champion. Because that's a, yeah. mm -hmm. exactly to really try and help continue that movement because that's really what we're trying to get to. Right. And, and, you know, we went back to trying to meet people where they are. This is kind of how we're trying to do it is, is, you know, there's a team of us that do this, like you said, strategically, but we really need everyone on that journey. And I think these learning programs and helping people have the tools to be able to have those conversations is really fundamental to like continuing that that momentum for sure. Yeah. It was something that you said there, this idea of the word that came to mind was like scaffolded approach. It's like, we're going to start with awareness, but there's a journey and almost presenting it as a journey because sometimes I think of momentum. I'm not a runner to be clear. Um, it's like you, if it's a long, if it's a marathon, if we're going to run a marathon, you can't run at your fastest speed in the very beginning. You're not going to have any energy or wind to actually get across the finish line. So almost like presenting this work as a journey because it truly is a journey, but unlike mm -hmm. a marathon, there is no finish line. So I really, I really like, which you shared there, Rachel. And it was something, the podcast, so this idea that you can be walking a dog, sending out some emails or, you know, preparing for a pitch. Well, you might not want to listen to a podcast preparing for a pitch. But this idea of like, here's a new medium in which we're going to provide you additional learning opportunity. And there's a clear commitment in Expedia or at Expedia from the CEO, from your team across the board to this work where there are some organizations like Basecamp and Coinbase, where it's like, we don't discuss this at work. It's a distraction. You know, it's disruptive. Seeing the changes and the progress that you all are making and mobilizing the masses, like if you could talk to those two companies or others who were saying this is not the place for that, what would you say to them to get them to invest or even take a second look at why inclusion and equity in the workplace is actually really, really important? I mean, the scariest part about doing this work is the moment right before you do anything. In a way, if you've done nothing, it seems really scary <laughs> because I don't know what people are going to say. I don't know how people are going to act. I don't even know how to do it myself. I think it's 
really scary up until you do it. And then a lot is opened up and you'll hear a lot of feedback. And if you're a company that's open to feedback, then that's great. It'll only make you stronger. That's what I would say. I know it does seem scary, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just on those kind of examples, really, I think the way that we always try and and view it at Expedia is you're going to have views across the board all the time. And, and, you know, as the inclusion diversity team, that is our job to listen and it's our job to act when necessary. I think we actually saw this kind of become, you know, a discussion that was becoming more prominent around, you know, this, this whole, what are we allowed to talk about? Is this work? Is this not? Are we allowed, you know, and, you know, at Expedia, we, we just try to help guide those conversations the best we could. We put resources out there to create a safe space for everyone to lead with a level of respect. It's in our code of conduct that we respect everyone. You might not need to understand them to respect them, but you have to respect them. And I think it was that really helped in all of those very difficult, uncomfortable conversations in kind of bringing it to a more productive conversation than the heat that comes with a lot of those conversations. And yeah, so we put those resources out there and I think that really helped helped us. And maybe it's the culture at Expedia, but we haven't found that to be a huge thing. We have great safe spaces within our inclusion business groups, our employee resource groups, where they have the safe space to talk to one another. The allies can come and learn. Uh, we have eight fantastic ones. So that's another great space for people to have those conversations. But, you know, separate to that, giving other people the tools really, really helps. And, you know, this came up quite a few times. We had workshops where people would say, you know, my religion doesn't allow me to accept someone because mm-hmm. of X, Y, Z, you know, within the LBGT community. My religion doesn't allow that. And that's a very hard conversation to be having. And we always took it back to start with respect. And, and that's where we kind of always landed. And I think that really helped us in, in those conversations. I also don't yeah. think those companies will make it in the long run. Coming mm. off of the pandemic no. and with so many people being more mobile now, everybody, every company, corporate, has seen people leaving. Retention is an issue 100% mm-hmm. across the board in every business. Across the board, yeah. And if you're not focusing on equity mm-hmm. and yeah. culture, there is somebody next door that is at this point. So mm. you have a, a big mm-hmm. risk not to do it and a big reward to do it at this point. Yeah. It has not always been that way in the past. We all mm-hmm. know that. I think now in particular right. though, yeah, get on it. <laughs> Zach said, will you last to be determined? Yeah. Um, I pictured an ellipsis. But in terms of, you know, focus areas for 2022, you clearly have, you know, support you clearly have, you know, just the the energy of the team, the desire of the company. You, you have a lot of those like key tenets required to be able to do this work at a great scale. You have all that behind you. Let's say you have all the resource in the world. So this could be from space. This could be financial. This could be people, you know, all the resource in the world. If you all could work towards or accomplish anything in this space for 2022, what would that be? There's no barriers. There's nothing here to stop you. Okay. We're in inclusion and equity utopia. At our own equity space station. I mean. (laughs) Yeah. That's (laughs) space station. Tell me more. 
Um, right? The dream, with satellites right? globally to beam information across an engagement strategy. That kind of goes towards, mm -hmm. I mean, Rachel and I, we did speak about globalization. That It's a huge focus mm -hmm. for us this year. We know that we default to US-centric. Um, and on this call mm -hmm. between both Rachel and I, that ends up being in my space even, because I'm the one in the US. It, we really do have that problem. And we know we do. Um, and mm -hmm. it's not just building out team members across the globe, even though that is part of it, but it's use, mm -hmm. utilizing our network. And I don't even think we have that full network set up yet across the company. Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I mean, I echo that. I think, I think for me, it would be that. And then also looking at our policies and processes as a company doing we're one of the things we're also looking to do as an audit. Um, and really looking at where we're at and where we need to be better. And I think we if I could audit. just love a good audit, yeah, bring it, bring it to us. Scare people. That word is like a word that we're like, Not do we theory. use that word? We're like, <laughs> 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 that's where I think hold also, because I think that's where you're going to really see impact, right? If you're going to look at the very process and policies that you have in, in you know, in uh, your company and what you can do to change. I think that's where I would also want to put put energy in really trying to help, you know, leaders see that, have the resource to be able to change some of those processes would be incredible. And I'm talking our know, accessibility. I'm talking everything here. Um, that that would really be the goal from my space station hmm. as well, because I would I love to work from a space station. The space <laughs> station that yeah, centers on globalization. That can be a tongue twister. <laughs> Don't say that too much. Last question for today if you could have dinner with anyone, past or present, okay, so they might not be living anymore, that's okay, in the equity space. So this doesn't have to be work-centered, just equity in general. Who would it be? Who would you break bread with? Do you know Fearless Futures? That's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good wow. question. Um, that gosh. one's easy to fulfill, Zach, so don't use this one. Don't use Fearless. Anybody else? <laughs> I think, I, you know, I feel like I'm cheating because it's more than one person, but I, I think and it, maybe it's just top of mind because I, I watched a, a, a film on this the other day, but The Suffragettes. Mm. Okay. I mean, the real activism and the bravery and just to understand that, I mean, I know that's maybe probably more of a, a UK thing, but I know it, it you know, was happening everywhere. Past, present, I, world. Yeah, for me, that that to me, because I just think the bravery at, in that generation, I just mm -hmm. cannot even get my head around because, you know, I sometimes get fearful and like, I'm going to make a mistake and say the wrong thing. To have gone back then and like go into like parliament and be like, this is what's happening and I'm going to show up here. For me, I would just love to understand Mm -hmm. more about that journey and you know the ambitions there that would be mine, mine is such a weird answer and <laughs> i'm just gonna go with it because no this is thing. i can't get it out of my head go with it they're, they're not even people in the equity space but do, like Ooh. ceos like the top whatever the people the richest people in the world uh, can no, i just no. get, I get them the to power. dinner if uh, whatever they want to eat fine we can get drinks fine <laughs> Like, shoulders down, <laughs> relax for a minute, like, just have an actual conversation. Like, you know that this is right, right? Like, you know this work matters. Right. And you can talk about money and you can, like, you can still make money. Fine. You'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> Believe me. But just have, like, an honest conversation mm -hmm. about it without 
of mm -hmm. pretense of business or this and that. I don't mm -hmm. know. I think that that would be, I would love to be at that dinner. <laughs> I see where you're going. I see where you're going yeah. with this. I'm not going to suggest I can help <laughs> orchestrate this dinner, but I will help plan behind yeah. the scenes. <laughs> Honestly, thank you both for your time, for your energy, for your thinking faces, because you both were like, ooh, at the same time. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure. The work that you all are doing at Expedia, I can't wait to hear more and learn more, especially towards the end of the years. Like we had a goal for globalization. I know it's not complete. That's impossible. But, you know, what have you been able to accomplish? I think I'm really, really excited for you both. Thank you all for being here. Thank you so much, Rachel and Zach. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting us in. Uh, it's a privilege to be here and be able to share what we're up to. Um, so thank yeah, you. And that. thank you, Sable. Thank you, Fearless Futures, for having us. This was a great time. I had a lot of fun. Maybe we'll be invited back. Thank you. <laughs>